When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the Tech Sideline Podcast. I'm your host, Will Stewart, the founder and general manager of Tech Sideline. I am subbing for the maestro, Evan Hughes, who is on Christmas break and enjoying some well-deserved time off. And yes, I am reading the intro. I blew it so bad last show, I thought I'd just type it up and read it. Uh, this is episode 106 of the TSL Podcast, and we're recording on the morning, recording on the morning of Monday, January 6, 2020. Whether you're watching live on Facebook or you're listening or watching archived on SoundCloud, Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, or anywhere else you can access the TSL podcast, we are glad to have you with us. Uh, I've got with me today TSL manager, managing editor Chris Coleman, of course, and behind the scenes we've got uh, Malcolm Stewart doing the producing. So if you're on uh, Facebook Live, be sure to hit Malcolm up with questions and we'll uh, answer as many of them as we can get to at the end of the show, but I, I'll, I'll warn you, I have a lot to talk about. I took a lot of notes. Uh, true story, when I was writing up the intro last night, I wrote that we were recording on the morning of Monday, December 6, 2019. Uh, I sent out our daily email on January 1st, or on January 2nd, and I actually... You know, we send out like six or seven different articles in our emails. And for yeah. every single one of them, I typed January 2nd, 2019. Yeah. Every single yeah. one of them. That, that was, that was, that's weird. What is that? Okay, so I, I don't feel so alone. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. This weekend, every week, the TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm. And someone stole my Fisher Law Firm promo. So <laughs> I'm going to wing it. Uh, we're pleased to have the Fisher Law Firm sponsoring the TSL podcast. Um, they specialize in traffic defense and uh, DUI defense, uh, the offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, and they can serve the entire Commonwealth. What's and, their insane number of people that they've... Well, the promo says 30,000. Uh, probably I, 40 or 50 now. So last week when I joked and said that, that he served <laughs> 1 billion people, um, somebody actually commented on... You know, we're, we're, the podcast is on so many different places. Somebody actually commented, a billion people? Like, no, I'm no, just that kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a joke. So uh, I cannot. Now, here's an odd piece of trivia. Um, whenever Evan does the promo for a Fisher Law Firm, he does it from memory and he gets the phone number right. I have a 1-800 phone number in my head that is not the right phone number, so I'm not going to say it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can uh, email the Fisher Law Firm info at fisherlegal.com. And, you know, if you need the info about the Fisher Law Firm, just go to uh, Tech Sideline and on the more menu, select our sponsors and the infos there. So we thank Jonathan for uh, sponsoring the podcast. It's episode 106 and he has sponsored all 106 of them. Yeah. Now we're going to do a uh, podcast on Thursday morning. Uh, my crew doesn't know this. <laughs> and we're going to have Jonathan on. He's going to be in studio. Well, you told us this last night. Did I really? Well, I don't know that. Oh, I told you that last night. Okay. Text. Via text yeah. message, but not verbally. Okay. Uh, so... 
you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure everybody out there in TSO podcast land is, is just eye rolling and going, oh, a sponsor in the studio. But no, it'll be fun. Uh, I don't have the show fully planned out yet, but we are going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the 99 season since, you know, it was 20 years ago. And we're going to talk about, so be ready with, with this, if you're on Facebook that day, your favorite Virginia Tech football game ever and your least favorite Virginia Tech football game ever. Do not chime in right now on Facebook. Wait for Thursday morning when we do that show. So we'll, we'll make it a lot of fun. It'll be more of an interactive kind of thing. And But yes, we will definitely get some sponsor plugs in for Jonathan because he has been very generous to us over the years. Plus, he's changed his business around and he's going to uh, share with us uh, what's going on there. So today's topics are the Belk Bowl and Virginia Tech basketball. And I will begin by saying that I ruined my night last night by watching the game for the first time <laughs> since right. since the game happened. Yeah. Um, so I have all these notes, all these things I want to talk about, and I apologize. Most of them are, are negative in nature or a downer, you know, um, I, so I apologize ahead of time. You for that. should have done it the day after the game and just joined in with everybody else. Right. No. <laughs> it's a little stale at this point, you yeah. know, but, but the, we, we did our last podcast last Monday and then the game happened on Tuesday, mm-hmm. but, but there are some things I want to get off my chest. So, uh, and there are some, some things I want to point out, out that maybe people haven't talked about. Um, but yeah, it's so I'll try to highlight some of the good stuff too. But and we'll try to talk about some of the good stuff, too. But uh, I did take a lot of notes about all the stuff that went wrong. So a lot of the discussion was and Chris and I talk about this all the time. A lot of the discussion was about the officiating. Specifically, uh, plays that were not reviewed. Uh, So help me out here, Chris. First of all, there was the pass interference call on Armani Chapman Mm -hmm. that the TV announcers agreed wasn't pass interference yeah i don't think it was pass interference uh i thought it was unnecessary though that he put his hands on he him. laid his it, hands on it, it kind of showed that he didn't have a good read of, of what was going on in the play right uh, and you, and you gotta it, have the awareness of what's going on around you and um, i think that contributed to it right right um yeah so i i don't think it was pass interference but i i, I don't i mean that ball was what 10 yards under thrown. Maybe not ten, but it was it, it was, was well underthrown. It was well underthrown. Um, yeah. Yes. So so do you think they should have just kind of waved off the flag and said that ball wasn't catchable? Oh, it was catchable. I, I, I actually didn't look for uh, that. D- depend, I think I'm guessing your definition of catchable is if the ball is on track. Uh, now, who intercepted that? Breon Murray. Yeah. It was, no, it was. Uh, oh, it was, I believe uh, it was Connor. Shamari uh, yeah, Connor. Yeah, it was. Got uh, it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, Shamari Connor. Connor jumped up and intercepted it. You know, so he's a six foot tall guy. So yeah, he intercepted that's true. it right here. So. If, if it had, if it Chris's kept, mic is trying it, to get away. <laughs> if it kept going on that downward trajectory, it would have been a catchable pass. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I think that's probably the official ruling was that it was catchable because of that because you can't guarantee that Connor will catch it when, when it's thrown, right? Um, so I, I will tell you that city. I, I was in the press box for this game, and the if 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 you are. Hmm, the sideline that that play happened on, that's the same sideline that the press box is on. And yeah. live, it looked like egregious pass interference. It looked like he grabbed him and threw him down. Right. Now, granted, I'm a long way away, and I don't have the same vantage point as the officials. Yeah. But I just remember when the play happened, just kind of, you know, going, well, oh. that, that's pass interference. Yeah. Um, yeah, so sometimes it looks like it and some, when it's not. Uh, my, my only main comment about whether it should have been – the flag should have been thrown is – 
I do think that there are times in sports, uh, football specifically, but some in, in basketball where you should pick up flags uh, depending on whether or not they have an effect on the play. Yeah. Um, that clearly did not have an effect on the play. Christian Derisaw being one yard too far down the field against Notre Dame. Was that Dame. Notre Dame? Yeah. Uh, uh, on the total opposite side of the field is, is that – was it a halfback pass or a wide It, it was a pass? trick play, yeah. It I was think. a – Grimsley threw it, I think. Yeah. Or, yep. or he caught it one or the other. Um, yeah, that didn't have an effect on the play. Um, in basketball, I always hate it when you have a great defensive possession and – the defense and you force a shot clock violation and, and the defense grabs it and is about to run out and then they stop and then the but the buzzer goes and so they have to play throw it stop so, so they have to inbound it so the defense gets punished really for making a good play nah. i've always think there, thought there should be a continuation there yeah the, you've got to let the buzzer go off but if you're a player you only stop on the referee's whistle um so, uh, so that's interesting you're talking about a refinement of the play where where the the penalty where maybe they don't Maybe they get the shot off like right after the shot clock expires or something like that. Uh, right. Interesting stuff. Right. So, um, I, I, so let, let's segue. In. There were only two penalties called on Tech in the entire game, and unfortunately they were both called on Armani Chapman. Yeah. And, and they were both touchdown penalties. Yeah. They, they led to touchdowns. Yeah, I think um, let's, we'll get into that later. I don't want to dive quite in, in, in all that quite yet. So since we're on the topic, let's go ahead and talk about the other penalty. Now, I watched, and he was called for, quote, abusive language, unquote. You were at home watching the game, and, and you picked up on right away that he was yelling at the ref. He was standing. Yeah. So did you notice that um, on that play, which was a which was a long touchdown run, did you notice that as um, Armani trailed the ball carrier into the end zone, that Armani was already yelling at the ref? While the play was still live. No, I did not notice yeah, that. So. I only caught the tail end of where they were standing in the end zone, and the ref just got this look on his face and yeah. then finally threw the flag. I think Armani, during the play, was fussing that he had been held or something like that, but he was looking at a ref and being demonstrative while the play was still happening. So then it just escalated, escalated after the play. That's, a, that's interesting. Man, and that is a uh, – You know, that that's, that's a thing where – with the pregame activities that, that took place yeah. in this game. Um, you know, the refs are going to be looking to gain control from the very, very beginning. Because if they don't, things could get out of hand really quickly, and you're going to have fights and ejections, and you, you don't want that to happen. Um, so, goodness. Just hold on to yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but then I have to, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, so you got to know that you can't do stuff like that, especially early in the game, because they're going to be looking to establish control. As they should. Because they knew that. Right. that I, people talk about officiating. I will say this. I thought it was a well-officiated game from the standpoint of those guys took control immediately because that could have turned ugly. Yeah. Very, very ugly. They called a total of three personal fouls or unsportsmanlike conducts on that first drive. Real early, yeah. 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 And so I th- they got they got control of it very quickly. Uh, which, and that sounds kind of obvious, like that's the thing they should do. But, you know, some officiating crews don't do it. Right. They don't get a game under control when well, they you know, know they need to. You know, I think that happened so far in advance of kickoff that they were all they were all able to huddle. And obviously, if you were watching on television, you saw Whit Babcock in a heavy conversation with what a I believe Bell was a official. Bell official and a Kentucky administration guy. Coach. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who that was, but uh, he was not happy. So I, I think 
there was a big conversation with the referees, probably with the bulk bowl officials, with the referees before the game. And they probably showed them on tape, here's what happened before the game. And the refs got together in their locker room and said, we're, we're, we got to get control of this early. Uh, we're going to call literally everything that could be called just to show who's in charge. So the question arises, it was on film, and, and actually my first note is, Lynn Bowden, the hothead. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it was on film that he took a swing at. There was a ton of woofing going on. That stuff happens. But yeah. it was Bowden who went over the line and took a swing at Deshaun Crawford. Oh, yeah. And, then and he, actually punched him. Right. And then he backed up so they could be separated. I... So so this was on film. So, uh, so I, I've pondered the question, should the Belk Bowl officials or Kentucky have booted Bowden for the game? And it's really easy to sit here on the other side of the fence and say yes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we, we have that sort of thing in our own past. Marcus Vick stomp, stomping on Elvis Dumerville's leg. Oh, he should have been ejected. And I believe that was in the first half. I don't know if it was in the – I have no idea if it was in the first half. I don't remember. But wherever, yeah, he should have been ejected. Yeah, and he wasn't. Right. Jimmy Williams was ejected from that game. Yes, for bumping a bumping ref. Bumping a ref. Yeah. Right. Um, so it, it's easy to get on your high horse and say he should have been kicked out. And you're actually not wrong. In a perfect world, yeah, uh, Kentucky's coach or a belt bowl official would sack up and say, "You can't play." I, I've you always over thought, the line and punched I've always play. thought that if something happens, that would you'd be arrested for if you did it on a street corner. Then you should, if you do that during a game, you should be kicked out of the game. Yeah, um, solid point. Yeah, um, because if, if if he just went up to Deshaun Crawford and punched him on the street, he would get arrested. Or he, he could get arrested. He could get right? arrested, right. He could also get punched right back <laughs> yeah, by, yeah, by a much exactly. larger individual, but not one who's as crazy. I think Lynn Bowden's got some crazy going on. Uh, he's got forehead tattoos. Yeah, that that, yeah, that, that guy. guy. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I have learned from the past, you do not do not say a word about tattoos. No, no, I know. A, a lot of people out there have tattoos, and they get up in your grill. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um Here's here's the thing, but not many of them have the forehead tattoos. That's entirely new. You're, you're committed uh, when I, you're getting forehead tattoos. You're committed, tattoo. yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, you you said, and I can't remember if, if you put this in your article, but you know you said uh, on the message boards after the game that Bowden's the kind of guy that that loves that sort of conflict and yeah. feeds off of it and uses it as motivation. He was doing it. Uh, the day the bowl game was announced on Twitter, like I, I put a tweet out there. Right. I said, early thoughts on Kentucky. And I was just, this, this is, I just looked up their team stats. I had never heard the name Lynn Bowden before. I didn't know anything about their offense. I just looked at their overall stats and I saw, you know, 19th in total defense, 87th or whatever in total offense. And I tweeted first thought just from looking at the stats, Kentucky's defense is really good and their offense is pretty bad. And he responded to it, said, we'll see. Yeah. So I think he's the type that, that – he, he was searching his own name on Twitter, right? Right, Or probably. just looking for anything. Yes, something like that. Who knows? Um, I think he's the type that searches out 
and tries to find anything that could be construed as negative so he can internalize it and get himself fired up and everything like that. Um, there, I was thinking about this on the way in this morning. There are people, there aren't many of them, but there are, there are people in this world that feed off of conflict. Sure. You know, they, they like negative energy. It motivates them. It makes them feel alive mm-hmm. and, and gives them a reason to do what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, he strikes me as one of those guys. I, oh, no doubt. I probably I'm, shouldn't have used the word crazy because then somebody can just cut that out. Right. You know, and, and do whatever with it but uh, you know i think i definitely think there's a method to his badness yeah. we'll say um he's a great player um no question tremendous uh, athlete tremendous yeah. athlete you know there, there's some talk i heard he's not a team player because he was yelling at his own players and he yelled at him a decent amount and i thought he, he was over the top on a, on a couple of them um, but at the same time he's a guy who declared for the nfl draft but still played in the bowl game in a p- position that he's not going to play in college that game did not or excuse me, in a position he's not going to play in, in the, the NFL. Yeah. Right. That game didn't help his draft stock at all. Yeah. If he'd gotten hurt, it would have just hurt his draft stock. So as from that standpoint, of, he's the ultimate team player. Well, as a matter of fact, you can argue that it may have hurt his draft stock because now it's on film that, that he'll do things like punch an opposing player before right. the game. Right. Um, so he'll get asked about that. That's a good point. I, I hadn't thought about that till just now. So – uh, let's see. I've got a little note here about Virginia Tech mistakes. Um, I don't know that I want to get into that right now. Um, let's see. So so one of the things I want to highlight. Um, so let's get back to the officiating discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You and I both, I think, and I particularly am loath to talk about officiating and the mistakes officials made, et cetera, et cetera. And people, sometimes when I write articles, like after a game, people will comment and say, oh, what about that official's call there and there that I didn't even address? Mm -hmm. And I just don't feel like talking about or writing about officiating. And and I was wondering, why is that? And and because it's what people want to hear, but yet I don't want to do it. And so I'm asking myself, why is it? And I think that that probably off the top of my head, what I prefer to talk about is the things that are under your control. Correct. Um, now, I didn't used to be that way. When I first started writing, I would lament everything that went wrong. But, you know, when it, when it gets down to it, there are all kinds of moments in a game where things are under your control, either coaching decisions or playing decisions or execution. And those are the things I prefer to talk about as opposed to, you know, officiating is as random as the bounce of a ball. Sure. When you talk about Stephen Peoples' fumble against Virginia last year in the 2018 season, he fumbles the ball into the end zone. And there, I don't remember the UVA defender was literally standing right there and he leaned over to pick it up and it took a funny bounce. Took a bounce towards a tech player and, and tech fell in it for a touchdown. And that, do you remember who fell in it? Was it Sean Savoy? No, I don't remember. Yeah, but it, it, it was, so a tech player fell on it and scored a touchdown, and that enabled Virginia Tech to go on and win the game. That's a tiny little bounce of the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and as a UVA fan, you can say, oh, if that hadn't happened. But, you know, these things are out of your control, and that's kind of the way I view officiating. When officials start doing the, their, their officiating things, yes, Danny Cole caught the ball. Mm-hmm. But I remember – That was the replay guy. That guy had multiple chances. But he's yeah. – you know, he's part of the crew. And when you put it in officials' hands, I literally think – I remember sitting in Sharkies in Radford watching that whole thing unfold thinking, 
this is out of our hands. I can roll the dice. It's probably not going to go Tech's way. I just got this feeling. Um, so that's a big reason I don't well, talk tech, about Well, tech, tech has won games because of officials before. So give me an example. All right, 1995 Miami game before they had replay. You could go back and watch the highlights from that game. And Miami was driving about at the Tech 15-yard line yeah. and, and threw an interception to the right. And the replay just clearly shows the ball hit the ground. And bounced into the chest of the diving tech player. Interesting. And they, they gave tech the, the the interception. And it was clearly that the ball hit the ground. And that wouldn't have necessarily guaranteed victory for Miami, but it's a big play. But it's a big play in a thirteen to seven football game with Miami in the red zone. Yeah. Um so I mean they're 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 I fully believe that over the course of time, officiating comes full circle. I it mean does. I, I think it's gonna they're gonna make mistakes that help you and they're gonna make mistakes that hurt you. I will say this about officiating. We talk all the time about how, you know, players are so much bigger these days and the game is sped up. The game isn't, hasn't sped up from the standpoint that players are so much faster. There's more plays being run. seems like there's more guys going in motion. There's just a whole lot more moving parts to football these days, I think. It's a faster game. Yeah. You know what has not sped up? Is the human body's ability to process what it's seeing. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And that never will speed up outside of <laughs> throwing robots on the field as officials. I, th- I think basketball officiating is even harder than football. It's extremely hard. Uh, I just I yeah. don't know how those guys do it. Right. Uh, very, very hard. Yeah. So I, 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 I've looked at message boards before after games, and I've seen Virginia Tech fans complaining about the officials. And then I'll go on a message board of the team we just played, and they're complaining about the officials too. That's just what fans do. Um, I don't. I played football three years in high school, and I never once complained to a ref about anything. Yeah. I don't. I don't see the what's the point. Yeah. I mean, you you can't you can't reverse the call unless you know you do you get a replay and you have clear and concise of evidence. I think Bowden probably did. Well, I think he he definitely fumbled at the end of the game. Whether the ref had blown the whistle or not, I don't know. I, uh, if you look at the slow-mo replay, that ref on the sideline didn't start putting his hands in the air until after until after Tisdale had the ball. Right, but you, we don't know exactly. It's, it's when, when was the whistle blown, and and you there's a transition period, and, and obviously it's easy to see something like that looking at a replay, but, but looking live with that pile of bodies, yeah. I don't think it's 100% that the Kentucky guy fumbled earlier in the game that they that they reviewed. The one with that Virginia the, Tech actually recovered. The one that, that Tech that recovered. Hewitt I think he and, probably fumbled. Yeah. Um, but I also think that if the call on the field had been that he had not fumbled, they wouldn't have been able to overturn it for replay. Right. Now, full disclosure, I did not. <laughs> when I was watching the game last night, I turned it off before Kentucky's last drive. Yeah. Um, I already know how this, this movie ends. Um, so, all that said, let me um, – I, I, I wrote down <laughs> – what I consider to be five big moments in the game. So let's start with number one, okay? And these are – I'm about to highlight a bunch of times at which Virginia Tech could have altered the course of this game through their own actions and ability to do things instead of waiting for some ref to help them out. Sure. So big moment number one, the Hokies are up 17-7. to seven. They get a stop and get the ball on their own 28 with 7.02 to go in the first I half. I tweeted at that exact moment. Get them down by three scores here and force them to throw, and it's ball game. Yeah, that that was a pivotal moment where you had a chance to go up three scores or maybe twenty to seven. 
Um, so instead, Virginia Tech went three and out, and that was our first three and out of the game, right? One first of only punt. two three and out, or one of only two punts, I think, in the whole right. game. And then they proceeded to give up a touchdown with 53 seconds left to go in the half. And that was the only touchdown that was not aided by a Virginia Tech. Well, I was going to say Virginia Tech penalty. That was that was the only touchdown drive that wasn't in somehow, some way on Armani Chapman, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was to me, and we'll get into this in a second. To me, it was, uh, I don't remember the details of that drive. There may have been a long run in the middle of it. Right. But Kentucky legitimately drove yeah. down into yeah. the red zone and, and ran it in from two yards out. Yep. So there's 53 seconds left to go in the half. And instead of 20 to 7 or or 24 to 7. It's now 17 to 14. Yeah. 53 seconds left to go. Two timeouts. Uh-huh. Virginia Tech gets the ball on their own 25-yard line. And what do they do? They run off tackle with uh-huh. McLeese. He picks up. Now, this is a this is a common play in that situation. Yeah. A lot of coaching staffs will run the football, see what happens. Yes, exactly. And then make a decision what to do the rest of the possession. If you gain one yard or you get stopped for a loss, you're just kind of like, yeah. Let's just pack Let's, it in and go right. for it. But if you get a he first down. He got seven yards. And, he got and, to the 32. Got, got seven yards, plus there was a penalty tacked on, or a penalty on the next play for offsides or something. Right. That gave so, Tech a first down. So with 53 seconds left to go, they run the ball. Let's say he gets tackled with 48 seconds left to go. Virginia Tech was very casual mm-hmm. about running the next play. Right. At this point, they're at their own 32 with 45 to 48 seconds left to go and two timeouts. Mm-hmm. and. And, you know, Brian Johnson had hit a 54-yarder earlier in the game. So I think the wheels need to start turning at this point. Virginia Tech's very casual about snapping the ball, and Kentucky jumps off sides with 29 seconds left to go. There was no sense of urgency on Virginia Tech's part. And then after that, they ran a couple of passing plays. I think Hendon Hooker scrambled and then got sacked. And Tech went into into halftime with both timeouts in their pocket, as far as I remember. Right. I, you know, a lot of people complained about that and, and looking at it in retrospect, I'm not real fond of that either. I think um, if you're not going to try to score, just take a knee. Just, just, um, no, my point is try <laughs> to score. Right. You got 53 seconds and two timeouts. Yeah. Try to score. Um, yeah. How many, how many yards did Hooker throw for for the game? How many yards did he throw for for yeah. the game? Let's look that up. We have our 12 of 22 for 110 yards. And at that point, he remember he started out one of five and then completed like five or six in a row. He was seven eleven. I, I mean, I, I think I think the reason they did what they did is because they just didn't t- trust the tech passing offense against the number four pass defense in the country. I don't like the attitude. I mean, I don't. I'm coming at you all game long. Is the attitude I want to see. Yeah, fair enough. You know, and so I think that's a fair criticism. Yeah. All right, so let's go with um, – hmm. Wow, I wore that one out. That was big moment number – so big moment <laughs> number two, Virginia Tech takes a 24-17 to 17 lead, and then there's the pass interference call on Chapman. Mm-hmm. and uh, They go down and score. And that pass interference call, I don't think that was on a third down play. Um Virginia uh, Tech. Yeah, I don't remember. Virginia Tech gave up a 61-yard touchdown run on third and eight, two plays later. Yeah. So let me look for this note. Uh, come on. So rushes given up by the Virginia Tech defense. Uh, they give up a 25-yard rush on third down for a touchdown. Did I say 25 yards? 
Yeah. yeah. They gave up a 25-yard rush on third down for a touchdown. A 19-yard rush, an 11, I kind of threw that in there, it's gratuitous, a 31-yarder, a 34-yarder on third down, a 61-yarder on third down for a touchdown. That's six plays, 181 yards, and two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And on third down, they I just detailed that they gave up three runs for 120 yards and two touchdowns. Get off the field. Yeah. Kentucky was 6 of 13 on third down and 3 of 3 on fourth down, yeah. which is an effective conversion rate of 9 of 13. Right. Because you when take – When you have a chance to get off the field or make a stop completely, yeah. So I read uh, – well, I didn't really read it because it was late and I didn't have the energy or the time to decipher it, but I read Bourbon Street's article about the game – and I did catch a part of that where he pointed out Kentucky was three for three on fourth down. Notre Dame was three for three on fourth down. Mm-hmm. They didn't all happen in that last drive. I think each team converted two fourth downs in their last drive. You know, if you want to <laughs> fuss about the refs all you want, but Virginia Tech had a lot of opportunities to take charge of this game. So let's see. I'm talking about – so I talked about how they were up 24-17. They had a third and eight, and they cough up a 61-yard touchdown mm-hmm. run. And I'm not going to call out individual players, but going back and watching that play makes you want to just tear your hair out. Yeah. There's just there's two or three Virginia Tech players just running in the wrong direction and creating a giant hole for a guy who's a really good open field. Yeah, runner. one guy in the secondary running in the direct opposite direction. The announcer blamed it on Dax, and I don't think it, yeah, that, it was Dax's yeah, fault. No. That, that That's a tough spot for a guy with Dax's athleticism. You're asking him to rush off the end, and if he goes too far inside, Bowden's just going to go to the outside. Yeah, and so I, th- I think, and, and if you're the out that outside edge container, the one mistake you don't want to make is to let the player get outside. Yeah, I mean, when in doubt, go even further outside to turn that off and to turn the runner back inside towards the defenders. Um, the problem is there was no defenders there. Tech was kind of stunning up front. One of the defensive tackles didn't get all the way over in the gap. I don't. I don't see the point against of stunning against them on on third and long. Just play your play assignments. Contain. Play contain and make sure he doesn't run. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't think that was Dax's fault. I think he got a, a bad rap on that. Yeah, from, the, from the, the color, color guy belabored the point with with Dax yeah, and Belmar did. and and how they created that hole, but the the safety vacated. Completely vacated. Completely vacated yeah. that that side of the field. Absolutely. Yeah, and and so so then it's twenty four to, to twenty four. That's another chance you had a, a an opportunity to keep it going your way. So tied at twenty four, and and you know a lot of people are they're criticizing Fuente for not being aggressive, but uh, in in with it tied at twenty four, uh, Tech had fourth and eight at the Kentucky thirty four, and Fuente went for it. Remember that was the pass. It was a it was like a nine yard pass to Tavion Robinson. He turned it up and ran right. three more yards. Yes, he did. Took a big hit. That was risky considering how the passing game was didn't work for almost all day. Well, uh, you remember uh, uh, Hooker started out one of five. Then com- then at one point was seven of eleven. So right. he did complete. Six I mean, in, in, a row. in terms of generating yardage downfield. Yeah. Um. I mean, so fourth, fourth and eight, man. Fourth and eight. So Hooker threw what twenty two passes. Completed 12. Completed 12. So he threw for five yards per attempt. So statistically, that play shouldn't have worked, right? Because Tech only got gained five yards per attempt. Yeah. So that was Fuente going against the grain uh, and probably being more aggressive than 
than a lot of coaches would have been in that situation. Especially when your kicker's already kicked a 54-yard field goal. Yeah. And you could have attempted a 51-yarder. Um, I, I think at that point he was – at that point I th- do think he was concerned about some of the things we've been talking about. Like third and eight and you give up a 61-yard touchdown pass. I mean, my goodness. Touchdown run. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, or touchdown run, yeah. So I think there was some of that going I on. I think he was feeling the pressure at that point to, to keep, score keep scoring. Sort of like at the end of the UVA game when he went for it on third and 19. Mm-hmm. When he threw, they threw the pass downfield. Yeah. Normally they would have just run the football there and see what happens and punt and play field position. Um, so yeah, I, I don't th- I don't think he's comfortable coaching with a with a defense that's giving up chunks of yards and a whole bunch of points. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think, think anybody is comfortable, <laughs> comfortable with that. Yeah. I know I wouldn't be. Um, so let's see. That was it. So it goes to the. Uh, let's see. That was a twelve yard pass goes to the twenty two, and then basically the, from there Virginia Tech does nothing and, and kicks a field goal. Of, right. Um, so, so so that decision probably gained Tech three points because the chances of Johnson kicking back to back fifty plus yard field goals right probably not strong, although he's gotten so much better over the last month or two. It's so I, I think looking at my notes, the the point was the opportunity missed. Do you remember? Uh, oh, the, this this Hazelton running the slant at the goal line. Hooker just threw it at his feet. Yep, and Hazelton. Uh, That's a chance to make yeah. a big play and get a touchdown. Right, yeah. and. Was it later when uh, Trey Turner dropped a first down inside the inside 10? the ten? Right. Yep. That they also had to kick a field goal. Right. I, believe, I believe it was that possession. Okay. So, you know, uh, Hazelton's would have been a walk in if it put that ball right in front of him. Oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the defender never would have touched yeah. him. He had great position. Everything was set up perfectly, and Hooker just didn't execute it. So that's a position where you're. That's a situation where your coach put you in a position to make a game changing play by being aggressive. Yeah. So yeah. So, so, big moment number four, leading 27-24. Virginia Tech forces a fumble at the Kentucky 39. Uh-huh. And Virginia Tech only gets a field goal out of it. And I think that's the this one. This is the where, one where Turner dropped. Dropped one inside the inside 10. Inside the 10. Yeah. Right. On, on that, which down. would have been a first down. Yep. Yeah. Now, there's no guarantee Tech was going to score a touchdown. No guarantee there. you're going to score a touchdown, but you get four tries from in, inside the 10-yard line. Yeah. So, yeah. so that made it thirty to twenty four, and on their next possession, Kentucky throws an interception. Just a horrible pass oh, by yeah. Bowden. Just a terrible decision. He throws an interception, and Breon Murray. It is pronounced Breon, right? I think because I think Beth Moans was calling the game. Yeah, and she usually nails everything, but she was calling him Brian. But she I think might it's be Bre- right. I think it's Breon. You know? Yeah, I think it's Breon. Only Beth Moans can make me doubt. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah. She's pronouncing it that way. It might be wrong. So, uh, so. Kentucky with Virginia Tech up thirty to twenty four. Kentucky throws an interception, and what did what do the Hokies do? They go three and out, mm-hmm. and uh, Kentucky goes de- that that's the ball that Hazelton that, dropped. The, well, Hazelton did did drop a a pass on his hands in, in that possession. Um, that was then that was a third down play that would have been a first down at Kentucky's forty five. Right, yeah, and and so instead they punt. Kentucky gets the ball at their fifteen, and you know the rest. Mm-hmm. So here's the next note I wrote. Two straight possessions where Virginia Tech got turnovers and the Hokies got three, three points, points out of it, and they only burned 409 off the clock in two full right. possessions right. in a game where you are going up against a team that runs the football and chews a lot of clock. It's almost it's almost like Georgia Tech, like hold the sure. ball on Georgia Tech and score points right. on George under Paul Johnson. It's, it's two games in a row where drop passes late in the game have been critical to Virginia Tech's loss. You know, against Virginia, Hooker nailed Trey Turner on that third down play. 
right on the sideline. Yeah, yeah. And that was a tough catch because the defender was coming right in front of him. And those are the toughest catches to make when you lose sight of the ball at the last second. Yeah. But it was still a drop. And then he dropped that one inside the 10. And then Hazleton. Hazleton makes amazing catches, but <laughs> outside the hash marks. I mean, go watch him between the hash marks when there, when he knows there's a chance of safety is going to hit him. And he alligator arms everything. Yeah. And he that, and that pass we were talking about, that last one that hit him in the hands that he didn't catch – there was a little a little hitch in his giddy up as he was crossing across the field. He had some space. I think Hooker threw a perfect he pass, did, and did. there was a slight hesitation from Hazelton. Right, and then he still got his hands on the ball, but didn't catch it. Yeah, so, so he, that's two games in a row by by drop passes by our receivers. All things else being equal, if you catch those three passes, Virginia Tech could have well. If they'd beaten UVA, they would have played Florida in the Orange Bowl right. instead of Kentucky in the Belk Bowl. So you can't say this is what their record would be. Nah. But there would be a nine-win football team if they could catch the ball. I know. So uh, I, I don't want to get – I don't want to start talking about – I don't want to start summing up the season and talking about larger issues at this point. But I, but I will say that uh, Virginia Tech lost five games and uh, at least three of them were very close. Oh, well, yeah, Notre Dame – um, Virginia, UVA, Kentucky, Boston College. Boston College was a ten point game, and, point. and Duke was a blowout. 35-28. Be, uh, was it really? Yeah, I was remembering thirty one twenty one. I don't know. No, thirty five twenty eight. Um, Tech did an onside kick towards the end of the game to try to get the ball back. I think. Wow. And no, 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 no. Uh, I, yeah, I think we had. I think Tech had timeouts, and and it was like a third and long situation. And BC just ran it straight up the gut for a first down. Uh-huh. And Foster it was, was like a living. third and nine. You remember yeah. the announcer said, well, you're not going to just run it up the middle here. And then, they, and then they ran it right up the middle. And Tech had stopped their running game all day long. And anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, it's an, another third down play where the defense couldn't get off the field. I know. So that's that's my Christmas Christmas wish. And yeah. I don't know if I've got it or not. Well, we won't find out. Even, till... even if this defense does not improve one iota in the stats next year, yeah. as far as rushing offense, pass, or excuse me, rushing defense, passing defense, total defense, all that stuff. If they can just get off the field on a few key third and fourth downs, they'll be a better defense. And, and I thought uh, that the the last two losses, and and, and I, I detailed all the big runs they gave up. Never mind the fact that some Perkins, of them were on third co- down. A couple of those Perkins runs were on third down. It's or it's it's like twenty eighteen all over again. You know, after they played so well for so long during the middle of the season. Um, so let's see what what else have I got as notes. Um, I think uh, so. A couple things I want to talk about before we put this thing to bed and take some questions and move on to basketball or whatever. Um, I think, uh, I know that, uh, uh, I'm guilty of, uh, I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, but I was basically kind of like, eh, it's a ball game. Who cares? You know? And, mm-hmm. and I, but I did tweet out or I did say, I said in our game preview, the closer the game got, the more interested I got and really wanted to win it. Yeah. Once, once Bowden started kind of running his mouth throughout the week yeah. and then when he punched to Sean Crawford, I was really ready to rock and roll. You know, when I wrote my game preview last week, I had a paragraph in the closing section that I eventually deleted and changed because it sounded bad. But I basically said, I don't care about this game. I'm just if I if I if you gave me the choice of erasing this game and not playing it at all and just moving on to the coaching search so I can talk about that, I would have done it. Right. Um, I still feel that way, to be honest with you. But the day before the game and the day of the game, I really wanted to win the game. But I got over it quickly. 
and it took me a long time to get ready for it. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, class of 98. Let's go. Hope. Ready for it. It, it's it's disappointing, but I think it would fester more if no changes were happening. Right. You know. Right. Um, but we. But, and but, there, but there's a lot going on. There, right there's now. a lot going, and you know, when there's coaching staff changes, it's rare that you have coaching staff changes. You know what some of those changes are already, but some you don't. Yeah. But then there's a there's a game in between. Yeah. I mean, how much does that game actually matter? I mean, it would have been nice to win it. Has Virginia Tech ever – I think you and I talked about in the office one day. Have they ever released coaches before a bowl game? Not that I can remember. Yeah, so this is this is unusual territory for the fans. Right. Know. Uh, you know, I, don't, I think it was fair to the coaches to do it when they did it. Gives those guys an extra month yeah. to look for jobs. Like, you can't – it would have been – I mean, for all the years Charlie Wiles put into Virginia Tech, I mean, Tech could have waited until January 1st to tell him that, right? Yes, they just could have. just so they could have their defensive line coach for a ball game. Yeah, but that's not really fair to those coaches. Um, so Charlie's been able to be active on the the job search hunt, so to speak, for the last month instead of getting the news on New Year's Day. And and it's kind of a you know shotgun courtship or whatever, so to speak. So I, I so yeah, it was it's new territory. Hey Malcolm. Hello. Can you do me a favor? And uh, uh, so I've been trading emails with someone who runs, I won't name him, he runs a, an NC State website. And he has said that either Brian Mitchell has been hired by NC yeah, State. Yeah, Mitchell got hired by okay, NC State. Okay, so that's, that's uh, he told me that Charlie Wiles is getting looked at is he? by NC State. Oh, good. Yeah, that would be great. You know, Well, there's so, some players down there that Charlie recruited. Um, um, the The... The four-star defensive tackle from Raleigh, whose name escapes me. Aleem McNeil, or am I? Yeah, Aleem McNeil. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that would be great for for Charlie. Uh, yeah. I know the pay would be good, and he would he st- would stay in the same region, right? Yeah. That sort of. I'm thing. sure they'd keep him in Florida recruiting. Well, see, he's recruited in North Carolina some before. Uh, he's got a good personality that fits in well down oh, yeah. there. Yeah. He's good in Florida. I mean, yeah, that'd probably be a good hire for. So if that's true, I hope that works out. Yeah. Um, so what what territory? This was also a question I was asked, which I can't answer. And sorry to take a little time in the podcast with this, but what territory did Brian Mitchell recruit? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, my yeah, it was, it was like probably like Maryland up there. You okay. know, you, you used to be able to get you'd go to Beamerball.com. They put a map. Uh, yeah, <laughs> on right. Beamerball.com. Well, well, there was a, actually originally a map with with this coaching staff from a board of visitors meeting. Oh, really? Was, and I remember I found it. I think, actually, I think Andy Bitter found it. Mm-hmm. And I've used it in articles in the past, but that was original Fuente coaching staff. This was before Galen Scott did his thing. Right. Uh, so you knew where everybody was coaching, at least in state. Mm-hmm. Um, in state, you definitely knew. And I thought it, well, the interesting thing to me was that Richmond was split up between Gale and Scott and Zon Burden. Yeah. Um, hmm. But the, there's not been an updated map since then. And 
Got to keep reading those BOV notes, man. Yeah, all 200 a, pages of them every there, time. There, <laughs> there is no FuenteBall.com. So right, there's no FuenteBall.com, so I don't know how much this player bench presses. I don't know where this coach recruits or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but Mitchell was – Mitchell would recruit cornerbacks, but I, I think Mitchell was up around, like, Maryland, places okay. like that. Yeah. All right, so I'll just tell him, Matt, we don't really know. You yeah. know, um, information's kind of hard to get. Yeah, and, ju- and just because he's – coach or just because he recruited that area doesn't mean the next cornerbacks coach was going to recruit that area i don't think they'll decide on recruiting areas for everybody until the entire staff is complete and they know exactly what they've got they 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 tried to hire green bay packers uh defensive quality control guy as cornerbacks coach uh the guy played at richmond has coached at william and mary and places like that he's 28 years old uh, but he turned it down. Yeah. He's from Richmond. That would have been so, a good So hire, they were trying to – yes, it would have. Yeah. They, they were trying – with him and Daryl Tapp, there's obviously been a focus on Fuente to do better recruiting in the state of Virginia, which yeah. is what everybody wants. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like they're one of two when it goes at, when it comes to going after NFL guys, which yeah. that's 50%. It's not a horrible So So a couple things. Um, this current recruiting class only has one signee from the state of Virginia, and, the, and if you look at past rec- recruiting classes – the lowest number was six, and that was last year and the year before. <laughs> right. So, uh, the other, oh, what was the other thing that came to mind? Oh, so uh, revealed on our subscriber board by yes. someone who has contacts in the Buffalo Bills organization. Um, Bill Tierlink resigned. Yeah. Yesterday. Yesterday. yesterday, yesterday the day or after, the day before. I don't know if the Bills have officially released that. I uh, I googled it last night, and there was nothing out right, about right. it. Yeah. Um, I think the ball was is just in Tech's court, and I, I don't know the legalities of when the H HR process can can begin. Yeah. Did they already go through HR like a month ago, and and now they can announce it later today, or can the HR are they announcing it right now while we're doing? Yeah, the podcast? probably. I actually, that, that thought crossed my mind this morning. I'm like, I bet they announced beer, beer tilling this yeah. morning, but uh, I don't know when the HR process starts on a hire like that. It might not might not start until today. Um. Yeah. Who, so in which case, it might trust take me. A week. I've, I've been coming into the corporate research center to work, and there's been nobody around in the corporate research center. Correct. I can imagine that the yeah. academic side, there's nobody around. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it's it's just I don't know when that will get announced, but we've been saying for a good three weeks that it's going to be Bill Tierlink as Tech's defensive line coach, and it looks like that's I tell that's you going to happen. that that hire that's that's an exciting hire. Um, it is. He, I don't want to delve into, you know, we'll have plenty of time if and when that occurs. You never know. Things could, we, we could be getting bad intel or things could fall apart. Uh, but um, there, there's plenty of time to delve into that later. But he does have college coaching experience. Um, he's coached to NFL defensive lines for, for, for a while. And, he, and he's a high-energy guy. I watched a video of him last night. Um, and he said that, that he said there are people – I can't remember exactly how I phrased it. It was words to the effect of there are people that make the room better, that put energy into the room, and there yes. are people that take energy out of the room. He said, I give energy to the room. Right. I make that a point every day. Right. Yeah, yeah. And energy is very important for defensive linemen. Yeah. No question about that. Um, he's a guy, he likes hunting and fishing. I saw one of yeah, the video yeah. interviews, so Flaxburg's going to be a good fit for him. There's plenty of places to do that around here. He grew up in a defensive line household. His dad is arguably the best defensive line coach in NFL history. Coached the DL for like 40 years or something crazy Some, like yeah, that? Yeah, three, three or four Super Bowl rings. Yeah. Um, 
was with the Colts when they had Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis. And, yeah. and Bill was there, too, as like a defensive assistant yeah. at the time. And so, he and he said that here we are delving into, into tier league. Here we go. Yeah. He said that, you know, he, he learned a lot from his dad and has added his own stuff sure. to it. So so let's put the brakes on that. I mm-hmm. uh, just wanted to throw that out there that uh, if this is going to happen, the wheels are in motion, yeah. it looks like. So that would be great. So one last thing I want to say about the bowl game is that um, – you know, and, and I don't I don't want to wag my finger. I don't want it to sound like this. But I thought Tech fans came unglued when Tech lost that bowl game. And, well, yeah. And there's, and there's two reasons for that, and then I'll let you go. Let you go off. Um, number one, I don't think Virginia Tech fans truly believe. Well, first of all, let's, let's do the other one. It's the manner in which they lost, coughing up an 85-yard drive in the last eight minutes of the game. So that – and some of the officiating stuff that that torqued people but i think a huge portion of the tech fan base just looked down their noses at kentucky no they didn't respect kentucky at all no because historically kentucky hasn't been good and virginia tech has but um, i mean you look at the last five or six years and there's no difference between those two programs they recruit at the same level from a rankings perspective Mm -hmm. the fan bases are the same size kentucky has more money um as time goes by, Virginia Tech's further and further away from natural recruiting bases as the talent has dried up to a certain extent in Southside Virginia, Southern Virginia. Yeah. So you got to go farther away to get recruits. Kentucky doesn't exactly have a great recruiting base. They've got to go into Ohio and yeah, places like the that. Border in Ohio. But Bowden is from Ohio. Bowden was a top 100 recruit from Ohio. Yeah. A big time recruit. So yeah, um, Kentucky went 10 and 3 last year and beat Penn State in the Citrus Bowl. When's the last time Virginia Tech won 10 games and won a meaningful ball and game? And beat Penn State in the Super Bowl. Right, right, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's a solid program. But, it, yeah, so, Stoops has done a great job. So, yeah, I, I, I do think there was a lot of disrespect from Kentucky. We both picked close Kentucky wins in our game preview. Right. Um, I, I Even the predictions that had from prognosticators that picked Virginia Tech to win, they had it as a close game, right? Yeah. So most people who really studied this game thought it was going to be close. Yeah. So, and whenever you lose close, there's going to be a lot of things to nitpick. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I do feel like there was a bit, there was a lot of disrespect for Kentucky from yeah. Tech fans. Uh, just judging the program on their success or lack of success from the 1990s. Historically. Yeah, historically. Well, that, that doesn't mean squat in 2019. Yeah. But so, just like it doesn't matter right, that Virginia Tech used to win 10 games every year. Well, that doesn't matter anymore. It's 20. 20, well, 2020 now, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter that Virginia Tech used to win 10 games. So it doesn't matter that Kentucky used to win three games. So I, I went back and I, and I read the comments on our game preview after after we both picked Kentucky oh, yeah. to win. And and a lot of them were like, hey, Chris and Will both pick Kentucky to win. Now I know we're going to win. <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I can yeah. take a joke. And my record's not been good this year. Right. I went seven and six this year. I probably did too. It yeah. was pretty bad. and uh, But there were a lot of comments like, all they do is run. We'll just load eight in the box. And I'm just like, you think every other team they play hasn't done that already? Right, right. You think Louisville didn't do that? You yeah. think, you know, Vanderbilt, everybody else didn't do that? Everybody else that they ran for 400 yards on? You know, this, you think you they're know. stupid? And they, they were a large team, and large isn't everything, as, as Virginia Tech's offensive line proved against Kentucky's right. defensive line. Right. You know, let, let's give props to the Virginia Tech offensive line. Really good game. And, you know, let's give props to Deshaun McLeese, mm-hmm. you know, for great having game. another great bowl game. Um, and I finally said something positive. There you go. <laughs> well, we can get into that 
like everybody there's a lot of blame go, blame going around for the tech offense but i mean i wrote it in my column the, the couple days after the game virginia tech was the first team in the last 16 games to score 30 points against kentucky right uh and it was all legit it wasn't any defensive touchdowns or anything like that uh right, right. they got three points off a turnover if you want to complain about the offense that's where you complain is is the drop passes at the end that probably cost tech points after turnovers and things like but that. but that's not play calling that, you know right exactly um but the fact of the matter is if yards per play tech was better than almost everybody kentucky faced this year they just don't get to run a lot of plays against kentucky yeah so so virginia tech had six yards per play on on just 55 plays right kentucky ran 68 plays but they only had 50 before that last drive i think that was an 18 play 85 yard drive yeah the statistics were were even almost dead even Mm -hmm. until kentucky went on that last drive and and offensively i mean that was that was overall probably the best performance an offense has had against kentucky all year yeah. When you when you base it on total yards, yards per play, and points scored, and they left some yards and points on the on yeah the table, through our own fault, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean that that was a defensive loss mostly. How how do we get to that? Uh, we we're talking about Deshaun McLeese, eleven carries, yeah, one hundred and twenty six uh, yards. I, yeah, I mean, I, I again I've forgotten the numbers when I did my column, but that was easily the best rushing performance anybody's had against Kentucky this year. Kentucky gives up; they're not a great rushing defense. They give up one hundred and fifty a game, mm-hmm. and Tech had two hundred and nineteen. Right. Um, Tech averaged more yards per carry than six, Georgia. Six point six. They averaged more yards per carry than Georgia and Florida, who were top ten teams. Yeah. Uh, that was the best performance of the year by Virginia Tech's offensive line, and the best performance of the year by an offensive line against Kentucky. Yeah. So you know, uh, and I, and I don't remember why we went down that path. Oh, I was talking about how um, Virginia Tech fans did did not really respect Kentucky, and that segued into there are positives to take yes. away from this game. Yeah. Um, and it, man, I I don't want to sound like a coach, and I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna, but you know this team is uh, they're getting closer. Mm-hmm. Last year, twenty eighteen. A lot of that wasn't even close. They got right. blown out a lot. Yeah. Well, they only got blown out once this year. Mm-hmm. The other four losses were were close games. And you could even argue that the blowout loss this year they used to transform themselves and turn into better things down the road, right? And they didn't even show up. The thing was, last year they got blown out a couple times when they did show up. Against Duke, uh, they right. just didn't show up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, so, yeah, they're, they're a much, much better football team this year than they were a year ago. Yeah. And things are trending up. Uh, I, I think the, my, my main takeaway from the bowl game is Tech has to get more athletic at defensive end. And bigger. And, uh, bigger and more b- athletic. Bigger and more athletic. athletic. Athleticism takes priority but you'd also need to get bigger. So Texas somehow managed over the last few years to get smaller at defensive end and also less athletic. Yeah, I know that there's a there's a myth among the fan base that Virginia Tech has a tremendous amount of success with smaller defensive linemen, and that's true to a certain extent with your Corey Moore being 225 pounds. But the guy who lined up opposite Corey Moore, John Engelberger, was 260 pounds. And if you look at the size of offensive lines back in the day, most of those offensive linemen who were starting were 275 to 290. There was rarely an offensive lineman over 300 pounds back then. So a 240-pound defensive end back then is like a 255-pound defensive end these days. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. so Tech's, Tech's best defensive ends over the last 15 years or so, 15 to – yeah, 15 years 
had been Daryl Tapp, who was 265, Chris Ellis, who was in the 260 to 270 range, um, James Gale, who was anywhere from 255 to 270 in his playing days, and Kenna Canem, who was 260 pounds. Yeah. So, yeah, historically, if you go back to Corey Moore in 1999, there he was a small defensive end. For the most part, Tech's defense, best defensive ends have been above 250 pounds. Uh, I remember Cornell Brown, his, fresh, his true freshman year, played at about 215 to 220. Right. But later on, we looked it up. As a senior, he was 240. Which, yeah, in 1996 when offensive linemen were 280. So we, we looked up – it was the two deep for the uh, – Miami the, the 99 – Miami offensive line, they're too deep. You're talking ten offensive linemen. I think only three of them were over three over three hundred pounds. Yeah, and not very far three hundred five, three ten, that sort of thing. Clemson's starting center that year was two seven six two two seventy five. Yeah, and so you you like to remember, oh man, David Pugh was an undersized defensive tackle. He was only two hundred seventy five pounds, and Tech got the most out of him. Well, the center he was going head to head with was also two hundred seventy-five. Right. David yeah. Pugh was not undersized. Yeah, he was normal size for his era. So I, that's a myth I'd like to see crushed. Um, because yeah, Taiwan Garbutt, two hundred forty-five pounds or whatever it is, he is. Oh yeah, Virginia Tech used to have success with defensive ends that size. Yeah, against smaller offensive linemen. Right. Now, I mean, now these offensive linemen like Kentucky's are like 320, 330. Huge dudes. Huge dudes. So right. you got to get more. Tech has got so Tech has gotten smaller and they've gotten less athletic. Um, if you're if you're going to be small, you better be really really athletic. You better be and, and a Tech Corey Moore nut. <laughs> cor- correct. Um, you know, and by nut, I mean that guy had a motor and yeah. could bend. Right. You know, man. Exactly. So Malcolm, how far into it are we now? How many minutes? 56 minutes. Yeah. So uh, let's cover Virginia Tech basketball sure. briefly yeah. and then take a few questions. Uh, I had a busy weekend. I spent all day Saturday uh, going to a funeral and associated events with that. Um, I did get to watch the football game last night. I did not get to watch the basketball game. You missed nothing. Don't uh, waste your time. I, I, I <laughs> checked Twitter a couple of times and thought, well, okay, I don't, I don't need to watch that. Um, I mean, I can give my takeaway. Go ahead. All right. How many years has Tony Bennett been the head coach at Virginia? Uh, 11. 11. Yeah, okay. That game says a lot more about what the program Tony Bennett has built in 11 years than the team Mike Young has scrapped together in eight months or what, however long he's been Virginia Tech's head coach. UVA's gotten to the point as a program where they just they lose – three guys to the NBA or overseas and win a national championship. And they just plug that next group in and they continue to be the number one defensive team in the country. Yeah. And then that's the type of stuff that happens when you're an elite coach like Bennett and you've been somewhere for over a decade. And against that team that has held Syracuse to 34 points and UNC to 47 points, not one ACC team has cracked 50 points against UVA this year. Yeah. Think about it like this. Virginia Tech's 39 points is the second most amount of points an ACC team has scored against UVA defense. In three games, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy how so, good so, they So they're right there. Right, right. Um, you take six freshmen in a nine-man rotation on the road against the pack line defense, that's what, that's what happens. 
It's and, it's not an indictment of, of, of Mike Young as a coach or this team or and, and, and Buzz Williams is very experienced, talent laden team. Last year also got stomped by twenty two, yeah, exactly. That was an awful, awful basketball game. Yeah, I actually went to that one um, last the, year. Yeah, the the only thing that disappointed me about the game on Saturday was UVA is not a good offensive team this year. And tech made them look better offensively than they are. They well, really, they really struggle with Kihei Clark, especially. I, I was disappointed that they didn't do a better job with him. He's a very good player, but he shouldn't be scoring 18 points a game. Right. Um, and I, I and the whole let's check out the last five minutes of a blowout loss. That thing reared its ugly head again. Yeah. It happened against Dayton. It BYU ha- happened to a certain extent against BYU. Now it's happened against UVA, and that's uh, you know you're in a game where I mean. That that wasn't a twenty five point game until late, right? You know, it was a thirteen point game at halftime. It was between an eleven and fifteen point game for quite a bit of the second half. So there there have been a lot of times this year where Tech's been hanging in there, they keep themselves at arm's length, and then with five minutes left, they realize they're not going to win, so they just shut off and quit playing defense. Well, that's what you do in AAU ball. That's what <laughs> right, which is what these guys are advanced AAU players. So that they're gets, all freshmen, that gets back man. to when we previewed the season here on the podcast and and I I pulled out that line of at times you are going to be playing a, a pretty good high school all-star team against yeah. good college teams. Yeah. And there was some harumphing after that. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. Oh, you guys, you're you're just putting them in the grave before the season's even started. And here I go wagging my finger again. I'm not lowering your expectations. I'm managing your expectations, you know. Um, This loss to UVA says nothing more about this Tech team than that win over Michigan State did. We'll know at the end of 20 ACC games how good this team is. You You can't sit here during the middle of the season and point to this moment and this moment and this moment, these individual little moments and individual games that that and say, oh, that's the definition of the team. I doubt there's a team. There's there's six freshmen on the planet that can go on on the road and beat the pack line. That's just not. That's that's not. Yeah. That's not a reasonable expectation at all. No. Yeah. Um. So I mean, much more experienced teams like Syracuse, they got flattened by the pack line. U UNC, who's not UNC, got down thirty-seven to four to Georgia Tech on Saturday. Was it? Th- you, you texted, I, I texted you a screenshot. That that was so unreal that I just thirty-seven to four. One of my buddies or was text, it twenty-seven to four? No, it was thirty. One of my buddies texted me a screenshot of it was thirty to four, and I'm like, wow. And then I checked it on my phone, and it had gotten up to thirty-seven to four. That 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 yeah, thirty-seven to four. And that's when I texted it to you. So now UNC is not good this year, but they're also better than that one screenshot that I sent you when it was thirty-seven to four. No, it's twenty-seven to four. Oh, was I was sitting 20? here. Looking okay, at sorry, it. I thought it was thirty-seven to four. Yeah. But anyway, whatever. Twenty-seven to four. Thirty-seven to four. Forty-seven to four. Yeah, you got four points. It's UNC and was seven thirty-three to go in the first half. They, they got, got four, four points, points right. which is about what Virginia Tech had against a much much better oh, defense. Gosh, and that was that was at UNC. Ugh. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, I think Virginia Tech only had four points against UVA at the same point in the game. Is and that right? Wow. U, UVA's got a much better defense than, than, Georgia, than Tech. Georgia Tech does. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it it, it happens. Um, freshman against structure is not – it's not going to work out well. Yeah. Um, Virginia Tech now gets to go play another structured defense on the road at yeah. Syracuse, that 2-3 matchup zone, and they're not going to have a week to prepare. 
See, and I was thinking about that. Buzz used to put, or early on, he put Justin Bibbs in the middle of that zone, and Bibbs did a good job. Mm-hmm. He put Chris Clark in the middle of that zone. Clark did a good job. I don't know who last Mike year, Yeah. You know, uh, and I, I like hammered the zone last year, but that was a bunch of experienced players. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think Syracuse is good enough offensively to, like, hammer Tech. But I also don't think Tech, you know, what they're playing a structured defense again. The last time they played a zone was, I believe, the VMI game. And Isaiah Wilkins said it after the game. He's like, oh, this game will help us prepare for, you know, Syracuse. Wow. And, and he's right. But Tech struggled in that game against the zone at home with VMI's talent. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't really think – and this is – let's see. So Tech played on Saturday. They got back Saturday night. They might have had a walkthrough yesterday. They'll have a full practice today. Leave Monday. Monday. Leave – fly out to Syracuse and I guess have a walkthrough – walk through tomorrow morning so basically they have one practice but do they play tuesday night or wednesday tuesday night? tuesday so they have wow. one day of practice to prepare for the two oh, three zone oh man this is right and they've, was, pl- if, they've played their best basketball when they've had a week to prepare basically. and i think that's part of the thing that was disappointing about the uva game was they did have a whole week correct to but so did tony bennett yeah um but uh if i was jim Beheim, i would press tech from the get-go yeah yeah, it, not it, not just do the regular zone thing, but sure, press them. Sure. Yeah. Um, right, I, I don't so. I don't know anything about Syracuse's personnel. I do know that you know it's a unique defense, yeah. and it's going to be something Tech's freshmen haven't seen before. I, I think a better read for where this team is right now will come on Saturday against NC State yeah. when they play a normal basketball team. Yeah, I agree. somebody that plays man to man defense basically. I'm taking David, my NC State buddy, that to that game. I always okay. always scare him up and take him when NC State comes to visit Tech. So, uh, Malcolm, we're going to toss it over to you now. Uh, is anybody paying any attention? Got any good questions today? Yeah, we've got a couple. Let me bring the mic up a little to, bit closer to you. I think we need to update our OBS. All right. <clears throat> Let's start. Well, we talked about defensive line coaching earlier first of all are you on the sofa of course (laughs) (laughs) somebody's gotta be okay malcolm what's the question uh we talked about defensive line coach earlier right have we talked about defensive back or cornerbacks coach or anything like uh you know tier link we're 99.9 percent sure is going to be the defensive line coach he's coming from the buffalo bills the great history we talked about that earlier on the podcast so you know, when we put the archive up, you can rewind it and watch it. But probably Bill Terrellink, cornerbacks coach. We got nothing. We got nothing. We know a Green Bay Packers assistant has said no to them there. Um, but we, we don't know any other names there yeah. at all. So we got nothing. I, I was basically on vacation the last couple of weeks, I admit. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Tom Lester, why couldn't we exploit the UVA and Kentucky defensive backs? Well, I mean, Kentucky has the fourth-ranked pass defense in the country. There's not a lot of exploiting to to be done there. And I thought it was weird that Tech came out throwing. Yeah, me too. Uh, Uh, And and when they did exploit them, quite frankly, Tech dropped the ball or Hooker threw it at people's feet. So Tech just didn't have as good a personnel as Kentucky has in the secondary. So there's your answer. So, yeah, when when the other team has better players, there's not a lot you can do about it. Yeah, I Um, mean, you know, Tech doesn't have a lot of uh, breakaway speed at wide receiver. Hopefully some of that will come next year. But, they, you know, they did get some guys Uh, open. And And as far as UVA, I agree 100%. Um, they, Tech had their most success in the second half when they started targeting those UVA corners. Yeah. Um, although, you know, early in the game, they went with what had been working for them all year, the misdirection stuff, so you can't really yeah. blame them for that. And UVA was but my, my issue that. with that is probably – I think my only issue with that is 
they didn't attack UVA's corners in the red zone early in the game. Right. That, yep. Yeah. Yep, I remember um, that. But as far as the Kentucky stuff goes, I mean, if Virginia Tech had the fourth-ranked passing defense in the country, would you expect Hendon Hooker or uh, would you expect the other team's offense to have success to against exploit. Tech? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So Now, uh, I thought the tight ends did a good job. Uh, yeah. James Mitchell and Dalton, Dalton Keene's catch in the end zone was fun. With his bicep? Yeah. He hasn't yeah. missed a bicep day. And it's rare that you're in a situation like that where – he had three defenders around him, yeah. and yet none of them came close to the ball while it was precariously perched on yep. his bulging yep. Rambo bicep. So, yeah, I think <laughs> short answer to that, didn't exploit Kentucky because Kentucky is, is really, really good. good in the secondary. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, regarding how fans felt after the bowl game, Dave DeServo had a comment that I like. He says, VT fans, at least me, are tired of choking away games in the last few minutes happens way too often. It's not the opponent, really. It's the type of loss. And I know, um, and that's part of why people came unhinged. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know I felt that because Kentucky got the ball with what, like eight or nine minutes left. Eight and a half. Eight and a half. And yeah, I was with a buddy of mine, and we knew all they were going to do is rush it, chew clock, and maybe score. And then we had a third down. We didn't stop. Oh, we had a bunch of third downs we didn't stop. Two two fourth downs in that possession, (laughs) a fourth and one and a fourth and seven. Yeah, that was an 18-play, 85-yard drive in eight minutes and ten seconds. The fourth and seven, they actually threw the ball. Yeah, so so let me me throw a thought out there that I meant to get out while we were talking about it, and I forgot. Um, I think it was when Kentucky picked up that first fourth down in that drive. That's when I thought to myself, I – I know how this ends. Yeah. And I had the same feeling at Notre Dame when Notre Dame picked up their fourth down on their game-ending 85-yard drive. Right. Now, I'll say this. Um, for for all those games like that that Virginia Tech has lost recently, they beat Carolina in six overtimes, and they needed to miss field goal to do it. Uh, it took a fumble in the end zone falling in our hands against UVA last year. That UNC guy fumbling on the one-yard line against Tech last yeah. year. Uh, they got a fourth down stop against Miami in the end zone this year. Yes. So, Virginia Tech has had plenty of late-game situations where they've won over the last couple of years. I think it's natural as a fan, though, to forget about those and then remember the losses. And, and I do I do mean at some point to produce an article and kind of tally that up during the whole Fuente right. regime, mm-hmm. you know. Uh and that's that's the bummer about losing a bowl game is it's a, it's the last one that just sits there. Yeah. So, hmm. all right, let's move into basketball. Ryan Haynes asks, "How do you think Mike Young will try to break down the Syracuse zone on Tuesday? Uh, and do I, you think we should expect a better shooting performance in the Carrier Dome?" I really, I really, I don't, don't. know anything about basketball X's and O's. I never played the sports. So well, I, I, know. I just know that that uh, um, watching the way Buzz attacked the uh, Syracuse zone, he would he would have a you got to have a guy. Again, I'm not a back, basketball X's and O's guy, but it seems to me against Syracuse, you got to have a guy in the middle, in the paint, mm-hmm. who catches the pass and distributes to cutters on the baseline or distributes to guys setting up for three-pointers. It seems like that would be Nolly. It, it does seem that way. It's easier said than done. Um, Bibbs did a good job of it, uh, and uh, Clark Clark was pretty good at that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that guy can also turn and shoot if yeah. they lay off of him. Yeah. Or even in some cases, and this is what Clark was really good at, put the ball on the floor and go to the hole right. from the middle of that zone. If if he wasn't absolutely ice cold right now, I would say Naheem Aline yeah. would be a very good is guy he cold for them. Now? Oh yeah. my gosh, he was one of ten, to, one of nine against UVA, one of ten the game before that. Ever since he scored his high career high twenty two points in that one game, 
I, I bet the guy shot 15% from the field since wow. then. Um, right. it's, it's so been, Nolly, Nolly seems like your best bet, but, uh, you know, I, I looked at the, he turned it over five times against UVA, right. but Nolly uh, tends to turn it over a lot. He does. He does. Uh, and he's caught in that situation where he doesn't know when to play within himself. There are sometimes when he needs to be a ball hawk. Yeah. Sometimes he takes that a little bit too far. And that's part of the grow, growing pr- growth process as a player is figuring that out. What's a good shot? What's a bad shot? When you need to be a little selfish, when you need to be unselfish. Uh, as far as shooting, I watched Tech shot 28% against UVA. Probably can't be any worse than that yeah. uh, against against Syracuse. But, but well, we'll one, more, one more thing on Nolly. Um, he's got the size, and he's a good passer. Um, I don't know if he's Chris Clark good, but he's no, a pretty good passer. Yeah, he is. A, he's good enough passer. He was yeah. good enough against Duke. But this thing, to me, is more, like if Nolly does get the ball at the top of the key, you know, let's say you, you trust him to make the pass – what I don't, what I don't necessarily trust is would be Tech's off the ball movement against the zone. Yeah. With this team being as young as it is. Yeah. yeah. With just so, one day to prepare. Really. So good question, and those are our amateur thoughts, and we'll see what Mike now, Young does. The odd thing is this game will be replayed in Castle just eleven days later. Yeah. They play on January seventh, and then again on January eighteenth. Which is a Saturday, right? Yes. All right. Any others? We can take one more probably. Yeah, let me find one more. A uh, quick comment from Richie Gallimore. Aline is 4 of 30 since 22 points versus Chattanooga. Yeah, that sounds right. That is, let's do the math, that is 12, uh, that's, that's about 13%. What did I say, 15%? Yeah. Hey, pretty good guess. Not Thank bad. you, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's do one more from Tom Lester. Any portal thoughts, generally or specifically? Uh we're the fact that nothing has been announced yet by anybody is a fairly decent sign. It means they're probably still thinking yeah. about it to a certain extent. You'll, you'll probably see some running back activity in the portal. You'll definitely see some running back yeah. activity. Um, there's a hmm. – I, I just I don't like naming names. Yeah. Um, you know, um, even guys that have been discussed and rumored, I don't, I don't like talking yeah. about it on the podcast. Right. Um, yeah, I hear you. Um, so I'll talk about the portal – Generically, I mean, yes, you're going to see people enter the transfer portal. That's the day and age in which we live, man. And you're going to see teams from other schools enter the transfer portal. Temple has a defensive end of the transfer portal that I really want to get because he's an elite pass rusher and a guy who can bend and make plays behind the line of scrimmage. But he's going to have a lot of people he, after him. Well, he's only 235 pounds. Though. That's true. We so so that, that might turn off some people. It doesn't necessarily turn off me because – you know, I think they could probably put five pounds on him, and he's 240. And, you know, quite frankly, our defensive ends are already in the 235 to 250 Well, and range. he's proven himself as a playmaker. Yes, yeah. um, and that's the thing. I mean, Tech, ideally you get bigger and more athletic. At least do one of the two. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I would say this about the portal. I think last year we were shocked by some of the Virginia Tech players that went into it. Right. I don't think there'll be anything shocking yeah, this yeah. year. I'll put it. You'll no, be like, yeah, I, that guy wasn't going to play. I would love to go get this defensive end. Yeah. And uh, and some of the things that get said about tech players that enter the portal, you can't say that when you are when you also take advantage of the portal, yeah. right? Now, if Virginia Tech is able to take the I forget the guy's name already. Yeah. Sorry. I've only read about him once. Google knows. Google knows. Just Google Temple defensive end transfer, transfer portal. portal. Uh, and I know Tech is well, is at least doing their research there. Um, but he's a guy 
assuming he's a good personality fit that I would take in a heartbeat that I think could make us a much better defense next year. So there are opportunities to take advantage of the portal. Um, the thing is, most guys who enter the portal just aren't good enough. Yeah. That, that generally speaking. Yeah, and, and last year, I don't think that we thought that was the, the case. Like, uh, Well, it wasn't the case with Kuma. Kuma obviously could have helped this football team, yeah. for both from a receiving and a blocking standpoint. Uh, Chris Cunningham would have been the fourth tight end this year. Yeah, he was productive earlier in his career, but it just wasn't paying Well, he was productive out. by default. I mean, yeah. Tech needed somebody on the football field, and he was kind of sort of the only tight end in the program early on. Yeah. So he played and by all default. Did, all he did was catch touchdowns. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So he played by default, um, but was never anything more than an average player. Yeah. So sometimes the portal, you just kind of wash out guys who aren't good enough. Yeah. And, but sometimes you get these grad transfers that get a lot of activity about around them. And, and the Temple guy is probably a grad transfer. Oh, yes, he is. He, yeah. He'd be a senior next year. He'd be yeah. a grad transfer. Uh, how many minutes are we up to now, Malcolm? Yep, time to cut them off. Yeah. Uh, we'll try to do when we have Jonathan in here on uh, Thursday. We'll try to do a lot more with Facebook Live and and I, I think talking about uh, talking about your favorite tech game, your least favorite tech game, talking about the '99 season. I think all that'll bring a lot of stuff out from Facebook. For so sure. We'll, and and as we keep saying, we'll get more interactive. Um, and I'm going to do an all decade team at some point. I probably this week I should, everybody else is doing an all decade team, they? even though I would like to point out t- technically speaking, the decade does not end until the end of the 2020 end of this year. Decades start at one and end in zero because there was no year zero, I guess. Right. I don't know. I yeah, wasn't around. Yeah, yeah. Technically, I'm, I'm not quite that old. It's, it's one of the few things I remember from my stellar Southside Virginia education mm-hmm. that I got growing up. Is that technically speaking, decades start in the year. So it went. It was year one for the first year. Right. Right. Exactly. Oh my goodness! I read something online the day before you're technically 21. You're already 21 because there's no day zero. You were born. Right. Right. Is that that same concept or is that reversed? That that yeah. that is sounds like a comment by somebody who's about to turn twenty one and wants to know if he can get to the bar a day early. <laughs> or if he has oh. to wait until midnight. <laughs> it, it is Malcolm's birthday, twenty first birthday on January eleventh. There you go. So Saturday. So uh but you're but you're allowed to go out Friday, January tenth, and wait till midnight, right? Yeah. Wow. I think you can you can go into a I think it's ten PM the night before your technical day. I don't know. You know, the cops would have to show up in that two hour window and who's going to, well, it depends on like a lot of bartenders. They know ABC agents come out at a certain time of year. Like when I was at the beach this past summer, I got carded. I'm 36 years old and I got carded and I said, I appreciate that. And and the bartender was like, well, the ABC agents are out this weekend. So we're carding everybody. Right. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Appreciate all the questions and uh, thank you for listening and watching the uh, podcast will be back on Thursday morning, probably 930, same time. That's what we're planning. I don't know when Evan is going to be back. Uh, Malcolm, when do uh, Virginia Tech classes start? 22nd. 22nd so I next. think Ev- Evan's going to be back a week earlier than that, I think. Yeah. So but, we'll we'll see. We'll find out. And, uh, <laughs> Man, that's late. That'd be late. Goodness. So I got I to gotta, I gotta, – Malcolm, by the way, if you can't hear Malcolm, he said 22nd, and then he said 27th after that. Um, 22nd sounds sounds 
more accurate. I got to unload this hosting gig because I forgot to do the sponsor plug in the middle. So I'm 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 learning. Evan's a real pro. So anyway, thank you, and uh, we'll see y'all on Thursday. Mm-hmm.